0: Everyone tells me that I... English people tell me I, I'm a fast talker. And I think you're definitely a fast talker. You've got that Woody Allen fast talking thing. Right?
1: What does that mean? Woody Allen fast...
0: Let's unpack that later. <laughs> yeah, no. anyway. I love that.
1: Uh, so let's start a little bit about your history. We ex- you explained it to me during the tons of coffee we just drank. Yeah. But, uh,
0: you mean the personal history?
1: Yeah, personal history. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, the simple biography stuff.
0: The simple biography stuff is that I was born in Chicago in 1975 to my now late mother, who's from, who was from upstate New York, um, and my father, who's South African, who was doing a PhD in America in economic history, where he met my mum. And while he was doing his PhD, they had me. And then when I was a baby, he got offered a job at the University of Flinders in Adelaide, Australia. And so at the age of 10 months, went to Adelaide with my family and uh, grew up there. So that's the first part. And to, to maybe to say the grandparents part, because it's kind of, I, I find it interesting. Her parents were on the mum, on the mum's side were Anglo-Americans, but the, the rumor was traced back to the Mayflower, um, not, or maybe the myth. And then her father was Polish. So Polish Catholic. So that was a big religious division, uh, in the 1930s, which meant that they had to really go make their own lives elsewhere away from families, which is a, a theme that comes back later in the, in my family story. And then, um, my dad is Jewish, and his family's from Lithuania, modern-day modern Lithuania, When they did this whole chain migration thing in the 1920s, went and then went to Cape Town in South Africa. And the famous story is that my grandfather got off the boat and was met by his village. So most of the Jewish population in South Africa is from modern Lithuania, although they, were, they weren't Lithuanians, they weren't really Russians, they were just living in...
1: I had no idea there was a larger Jewish population in South Africa.
0: I don't think it's a particularly large one, but if it's 0.5% of the population, it's it's predominantly from this it's but it's specific. legit they have
1: like a place to go there's like a temple and
0: oh yeah absolutely okay yeah yeah i, I guess the nice funny story to me is that uh, my my kids uh, if you trace it on one lineage there's five different countries in a row it Was from palestine to lithuania to south africa to australia and now my kids are growing up in london it's a very dislo dis- what's the word transplanted family how do you teach that to Kid, like,
1: how do your kids think of themselves? Do you tell them the story?
0: The funny because so I was although my father's Jewish, I didn't really. I, Adelaide is a very um, secular country. Well, it's a very I guess it's a very Anglo city. It's very few Jews and very few immigrants of any kind. So I grew up kind of ignorant uh, in general. So my so my father is a he's a he's Jewish, but he's very he's completely atheist and all those things, and he doesn't overly identify with it. So he's um, when I took my oldest daughter Evelyn, who's eight. To pick up my two lo- youngest kids who have a childminder in a, the neighborhood north of where I live in London. It's a very Lubavitch area. And uh, she asked me what just a few weeks ago. She said, Why doesn't Grandpa Ralph dress up? As in, Why does he look like these Lubavitch Jews? Oh, so she, okay. wow. So, so she has started to become aware of it and a certain questions being asked.
1: And then now you're answering, Well, Grandpa doesn't really care. <laughs> like, <you know.
0: laughs> well, I think I tried to explain there was lots of different kinds of Jews. But she's intrigued by the fact that you can't be Christian if you don't believe in God, but you can be Jewish and not believe in God. My wife's family are very Anglican, very strict Christians. And so my daughter's very aware of that. So that's why she finds it hard to square. She sees one form of religious practice from her mum's side of the family, which is not playing out the same way with my dad.
1: But indifference is also a form of religious practice. Like she understands the lack of as probably a thing unto itself, right?
0: I think the confusion for her is she thinks of herself. And she sees that our family is not religious, and she thinks that's how not religious people are. And she yeah. sees my wife's family, who are very religious, and then she sees my, my father, who is Jewish, so seems to be religious to her in some sense, but doesn't. See, but seems to act more like us than my, my wife's family, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's they the go thing to, to like, square. What,
1: what do you mean by super religious? Like-
0: they go to church every week, and it's, they, they say grace, and it's a big part of their identity and in everyday lives like,
1: yeah. b- like big cr- cross on their chest? no and... it's
0: protestant so it's super they're, oh, okay, they're, so they're super super protestant i mean they they they, di- they identify absolutely as hardline protestants so there's no ostentatiousness whatsoever and they get very upset at service if there's any kind of suggestion that the communion thing is anything but symbolic
1: i'm so completely clueless about like racial tensions in other countries except for like i'm finally starting <laughs> it's a weird weird thing to get your to try and get your head around
0: well, it's really what's really interesting. I don't really get it, but I'm starting to get a bit more of it. Is that the Church of England? We all think of it as being a Protestant church, but it's not. I mean, it's a church that is incredibly broad with many different binaries at play, and one of them is that the Anglo-Catholic is still a part of the Church of England. So that's why the tensions are very, are very vivid and real. So every church of most Church of Englands are sort of. Uh, kind of moderately Protestant, but was still with little bits of aspects of the Catholic.
1: Are they yeah, really active institutions still? Like, but, are they, yeah, like the Church of, Church of England? I'm asking, I, um, I apologize to any British people learning because I'm just coming off as completely clueless, but I am.
0: Yeah, well, I mean... But it, is it, it still like, is it like a big thing? Like, is it... It's not part of my life, and I don't think it's part of most people I know, but... But I it think- can
1: still affect you in... Well, It can still be an intrusive force.
0: It was intrusive a few months ago when the Church of England voted not to allow women bishops. And my daughter and I, my oldest daughter and I, were listening to that radio announcement. And she was asking me, you know, why is it that the the Church of England discriminates against women? Which is a very confrontational moment because, you know, on one hand, I believe in religious tolerance. and I'm not particularly, you know, I don't want to be an asshole to anyone. I know lots of religious people who are very bright and, and lovely. And that's so I have some empathy somehow for it. But equally, I'm a feminist and I have three daughters and I really, so I got even more feminist a bit, I think. And uh, at this moment, you have to decide between your feminism and your religious tolerance. And you can only tell your eight-year-old daughter that historically men have discriminated against women and the Church of England is one of those institutions that continues to do so. How old
1: is your oldest daughter?
0: She's almost nine, yeah. And, and How do
1: you explain that to a nine-year-old?
0: I just, I said, well, I just said then. And they get that. Yeah, I think I think it's a. I mean, maybe I put it slightly differently, but she definitely got the concept.
1: I have no idea what it's like to have kids, so I'm like, can you explain something that nuanced and like to a nine year old? I guess. Yeah, I think so. And like, she gets it, retains it, and she like walks around and
0: she gets pissed off by it.
1: Can she really get politically mad at the age of nine?
0: She, yeah, I've got to say, my I can't. My my middle child doesn't seem like she would ever, but my I think my oldest child is inc- is incredibly uh, sensitive and. Um, She's a vegetarian from the age of 5 in a very hardcore way and uh, she was that her decision? Yeah, she had an emotional breakdown over a ham sandwich and hasn't eaten any form of meat since. It's a, it's a normal thing that when you're 5 you make the connection between animals and meat. It seems strange to us now that it takes so long, but it's really about 5 that they vividly make that connection.
1: Well, it's like they're one of their first experiences being sympathetic. Yeah. Yeah, right. And That's when sympathy kicks in at the age of five.
0: I guess so. But also just how even just intellectually to make that connection. It's amazing. But my, my three-year-old doesn't realize that when she's eating duck, it's the same thing she saw at the park that day.
1: Is she the only vegetarian in your family?
0: Well, I became one with my oldest daughter at that time. So there's two of us.
1: You're like a family man, huh?
0: No, she, I'd, I'm going to give my daughter the credit there. I'd always wanted to become one. I think I always believed in it intellectually, but it was always too lazy to enact, act upon it. And so I was delighted somehow mm-hmm. that my daughter gave me the strength to do it. So we did it together. It made it easier somehow. Oh, that's like amazing. Like giving up smoking with a friend or something, you know?
1: So what are you doing here in Berlin in Merit's Music right now? Like, I know, the, I know the answer, but let's preface it a little bit start talking about your work.
0: It's a short story. Hamer. I have a yeah, just have a piece tonight by uh, an extremely. You know, you're supposed to say this, but I absolutely mean every word of it. An extremely wonderful group of Australians called Speak Percussion, who was really the one group in Australia who I've just been really keen to work with. Not, not the only one, but the main one, because I haven't left Australia 15 years ago and I'm pretty out of touch. But I was very aware of what they were doing and loved it. So yeah, I made a piece for three percussionists but it's not really a piece for three percussionists because it's a piece for vibraphone drum kit and sampler keyboard
1: so the percussionist has to play a
0: keyboard one is playing drum kit one's playing vibes and the other one's playing a a, a keyboard and that was cool because she had a leah um, has a keyboard background i guess it could be performed by two percussionists and a keyboard player
1: talk about what you do like the theatrical element to what's going on in your in your work
0: yeah well there's none of that tonight um i guess the last few years i've had, most of what I've done has been in two different series, which are not unrelated. They're deep; they're very related, but they're very unrelated in this one sense that you ask. That one is involving physical movement and theatrical elements, which is what's called the Letterpiece series, uh, which I can say something about if you like, but it's got nothing to do with tonight. Because tonight's piece is called Popular Contexts, Volume Six, um, so that's part of the Popular Context series, which are about uh, combining field recordings or samples with live instrumental music.
1: I didn't know you had these two different directions. So describe me the reason and purpose for kind of doing this uh, theatrical stuff related to movement and sound samples.
0: I mean, there really is lots of things in common with them, which we can talk about if you like. But the, I guess the first thing is letter pieces are open scores. So they're scores where I don't fix content. Plus minus the group that I work with in London is, does, performs a lot of open scores. I'm not ideologically an open score guy in the sense that i also write fully scored works
1: what do you mean by open scores like it's aleatoric in a way or it's you mean indeterminate
0: i mean it's it's open work works that are not finished works that require performers to make creative decisions to finish them and so that you can have different i mean this whole tradition which is they're not they're not like you know card treatise or earl brown's december 1952 which i find not actually not interesting in a way because they're just so open to be somehow the act of performing them is an act of composition. So I'm much more interested in the open scores of... Uh, john zorn or various people who are prescribing very specific creative tasks and so the the letter pieces are are like that the idea is that for instance um if it was a duo for one person who was doing physical actions and a musician they're called letter pieces because the score has just got letters on the score a b c d and e
1: okay i see
0: and i ask the performer for instance in one piece to create a story in five actions it's just like glorified charades really And they make five very short actions. They might be just less than a second long. And it's really on the beat. The piece is very beat-based. And they have to create an action for A, B, C, D, and E. I gave them a concept, in this case a very simple one, a narrative concept, that they should tell a story in these five actions. It should be a sequence to it. And then I asked the musician to do the same thing. So it can be performed by any instrument. It's open instrumentation work too. And they create five sound events for A, B, C, D, and E. And uh, then my piece completely structures those letters so every performance of that piece will have exactly the same structure but it will sound and look very different and it also can mean something different depending on the content with which they used.
1: What about doing a structure like that do you think puts your stamp on it? How do we hear you as a composer in something like that if so many choices are being made by the performer?
0: I've got two answers to that which contradict each other. On one hand, I don't really care. I mean, it's more a the whole point to me of open work is just it's not really about – it's about facilitating a creative experience that people can collaborate with. It's, 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 to me, it's an interesting model. Normally, we think of collaboration between a dancer and a painter, and they go and work together in Banff for a month or something, right? And then they make a work. There's two living people making decisions together, with, whereas this is an interesting model. It's a fixed score, and then, which is dead in a way, right? And someone has to make decisions with it. And then what's interesting is just like a bark partita we can see two different performances of this but it's exaggerating this idea of interpretation right so we're interested to see another performance because so the other the contradictory is they actually all do look and feel very similar so there's some i'm not sure if i have the words to really define it but there's there's definitely something about the work to, even a bit to my surprise which is completely defining it which is probably the i think probably the beat based nature of it the fact that it's super re- elemental, in a way, like samples, that's perhaps a connection. I mean, in the sense that there's nothing organic about them, uh, nothing developed about them. There's only five things that each person has in the whole piece, which are very short, and the only and there's no transformation of those things. So the only things I really have access to as a composer is the order in which I present them. So, for instance, if it's a story, A B, which you would see if it's A, B, C, D, and E, if I only present that once towards the end of the piece, then there's a lot of confusion before that, what's going on here. But also, um, I guess the main, another really big interest is the idea of, you know, that, that when you see like the psycho scene from the shower, right? And we all know what the music does to that scene. And then if you imagine the same scene with like some polka music, and we all know that would make us feel very differently about what we were watching. And so that's somehow a point here that if you see action A, which let's say it's a punch coupled with this cello music, which is a double stop from Bach. Uh, we feel one way about it. And if we took the same A from the music and put it with a, a grungy uh, subtone, we'd feel differently about it. And that plays out in the piece because if the A's are coupled at the start, then later on in the piece, those A's might be decoupled and the A from the punch of the person doing the movements might be recoupled with uh, music B, which will be something different.
1: Do you worry about your work not aging well? I was thinking about this and I was talking to some other composers about this is that you're putting popular actions into different types of contexts but popularity changes over time and then people may not understand the reference 20 years from now and then in, in almost a certain way you can say that that actually will make the piece not as good because they won't understand mm. what's bit, being the principle at play
0: like so listen to weber from the you know and all these references that we just miss now i miss them
1: yeah exactly but there's something else i, g- I guess there's something else there yeah. that is uh and they talk about that, that is resonating it. with people so do do you try and have that something else there do i mean you I, the question
0: to... is so frightening i mean there's so much stuff that keeps me awake at night as it is and you've just given me another thing to worry about so thanks that will i my music age well or date that's such you a horrible... never had that thought you never no, i've had that never had before. that thought which is like bad i mean it's a good question and a but it's a horrible one. It's horrible. But uh, I mean, I worry about so many other things, but I had maybe so many other things that w- were making me worry that I didn't think of that one. I'm going to say one thing, which is, I guess, somehow uh, a few years ago, an- another thing I feel about new music scene a bit, and especially perhaps um, coming from ho and Fernieho students, is this incredible privileging of the 20th listening experience. And somehow i have just really going to see pop dance a lot as well. And The what listening experience? 20th. As in making work that would, you know, be the best when you listen to it for the 20th. Oh, I've term- never even heard that I made it up. Phrase. Oh, okay. But you know what I mean? Do you know,
1: 19 is cheesy. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's got to ser- be 20.
0: It's certainly not about the first listening experience. Right? Okay. The first listening experience should be no more than a small amount of information that makes you want to go on to the second listening experience. Yeah. And, uh I as I say I went to those dance and performance shows and realized that these are shows no one sees twice you know like there's no expectation in that culture that you need to see a work twice you know, it's totally cool for work to be it lives off of course if the fantastic works live on in your mind you still think about them and you relive them but there's no need to experience them again And I found that quite uh, exciting and confrontational to my assumptions about what music should be and so I really went to start to changed, and I really wanted to make work that was about the first listening experience, or at least to give that much more primacy and privilege in my way I wrote, which means also to think about music in terms of um, decision making to uh, somehow to animate or activate listeners, to imagine what people are thinking halfway through a piece and what their expectations are, and to engage with that and to try and do something that was plausible, but not what they saw coming if that makes sense. So I have a huge neuroses then about what the second experience offers. You know, that's not a good thought. I also didn't lose... Because you're so
1: obsessed with the first listening experience that you'll think, but this, the second listening experience, it's almost a way like, I have no idea what that's going to be. It's like a different piece for you almost. It's a bit like, you know, yeah. yeah,
0: ex- yeah Or the,
1: it's like or a piece you didn't plan for.
0: That's some um, maybe connected to the 20-year thing in the sense that if you're making pieces for the first listening experience, maybe you're also making it for the today.
1: But can't you have both? Yeah, isn't the, isn't isn't like the goal to have both to have uh, something viscerally attractive on the that's onset? Why,
0: that's why. it keeps me awake at night. So I, that's always my neurosis about it. So the shift going towards that first experience—it's it's not the only thing I want. Of course, I want all these other things too.
1: You could incorporate that into your thought process. If it keeps you up at night, then to- like when you wake up and compose the next morning, don't you have to like face that nightmare somehow?
0: Absolutely, and I, and I do, and I do. But I, it's it's not a it's not a concretely easy thing to respond to that yeah. neurosis how you would go about that.
1: Have you come up with any strategies? Like,
0: Yeah, to, to, I think one thing is to make it semantically dense, rich. Like I so said, there's lots of decisions making, so you can't take them all in the first time. There's certain ones you can take in, but there's more to go back to. I also think there's nothing wrong with just the, the repeated experiences uh, the, to rip, repeat the joy that you experience. That's also cool. So I just want to make super great you know, mu- musical things that I love. That was
1: so fun the first time. Let's go see it again. Yeah, which yeah, is yeah. You
0: know, why we listen to pop music often over and over, right? And well, That's I why think-
1: top 40 stations work.
0: Yeah, and I have no problem with that. I want to make stuff which is just great to listen to, so you want to listen to it again. That's another solution which is not connected to the semantically dense solution, right? Yeah, your question is disturbing, which is great. I'm
1: oh, sorry, I didn't mean to. <laughs> <laughs> That's my goal for these things is just to make sure that the composer or interview is more upset than he was when we uh, first met. Yeah, um,
0: well, good. So other
1: than the concern I just added on to, give me another concern. What are you afraid? This is this is kind of awful, but what are you afraid that your music is not already, doing? Because it's so given, specific. Cause I've it's so done specific. One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll give
0: you another one if you. you have to give one now too, so it's fair.
1: Okay, I'll give one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I have to do one right now. Yeah. Oh God. Okay. Well, I think everybody has this problem, but I'm constantly afraid that I'm full of shit. Like, does that make sense? In general, like, whenever uh, whenever I kind of feel like I've started to do something that feels original, something that's stylistically original and an in in, in approach to sound and instrument making and orchestration that I think is unique, then I always turn the corner and then I'm like, oh, this is like Sherino mixed with some other composer or this is me just doing a take on somebody else. Mm. And then I just don't – then I can only see it as a, a ripoff. Mm. And – yeah. That's that's maybe a little bit of a generic problem that I think every composer has, but I definitely yep. I definitely have that. I haven't found a good balance between ideology and practicality. Does that make sense? No. Like if like if actually what I'm doing is just so ridiculously difficult that it's so performatively difficult. Performatively or- performatively difficult, and the part of the reason why I go for that is that I have this expectation of how I want my music to look on a page. So it becomes overly complex and overly sophisticated when the same idea could be communicated through more, much more simpler means. But then I wouldn't get to own a, like a document that says, "Look how, score. look how, Leah, look how beautiful."
0: School fetishism, yeah, yeah.
1: I'm sure as soon as this interview ends, I'll come up with like eight other better things mm. of other things that I'm worried
0: about. Having kids has helped me with school fetishism. I have now no interest in it. It's just purely practical. Really, I, that's what I, I,
1: sh- I should do. I should. I should have to.
0: I'm not saying anything about just just. Uh... I don't have the time to be like that. I'm very practical now, and I'm I'm not concerned. I'm only concerned with how it sounds. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. yeah, I think my focus is. I'm still at the point I think compositionally where I'm adjusting my focus to not care about like what you said, score fetishism, and just and just be like, oh, just be concerned how it sounds. Yeah. But it's so the visual look of a document is so intriguing to me. Mm. It's like I really like. It's it's a siren calling out to me or something like that. It's like the, an actual beautiful, like, Fernie House score or, like, a handwritten Chirino score. Like, for me, that's almost the thing and not the sound pressures produce. being bouncing in off of ears. And I know that's a bad priority. That's a shit priority to have if you're a composer, obviously. And I'm constantly trying to get away from that.
0: I just found it liberating it 10 years ago when I fell in love with Bernard Lang's music and his scores look like shit. And he's a you know that was just somehow
1: that makes sense that you would actually like his uh like oh, his, I love music. his music yeah
0: but, uh yeah he's I'm a huge fan but um yeah but he scores are not good i mean they're not a disaster but they're not the no objects of beauty yeah exactly yeah. if if it looks dumb yeah. and it sounds great then
1: you're a great composer <laughs> yeah. i think yeah I
0: mean, I mean it's always a big thing about philbin's I mean his scores are also pretty pretty horrible i mean we just done a punch of pieces with plus minus and it's just such a nightmare it's such a pain in the ass those scores
1: what because it's like his it shitty scribbling
0: Scri- shitty scribbling just ridiculous harmonic spellings which i know some people try and defend but they're just practically a fucking pain in the ass but they yeah they just don't look great okay yeah
1: okay so now it's your turn what do you worry about
0: i worry oh yeah another one that i worry about which is again of almost no use but it does worry me nonetheless Is like um it worries me for tonight you know in this concert, Mets, that, um, like I said, when I was at Darmstadt uh, last year, I really found this a worry, uh, which is that, so how, how I'm trying to get how to put it, how to formulate it, but, yeah, like if, so, you know, you're, you're an artist and you make a piece and so your piece is about the stuff you're interested in and uh, you, you don't do it to be provocative or anything like that, uh, you just, you know, if you make a piece like I had about the indie music I'd grown up with and it's just somehow to to engage with an aspect of your listening autobiography and all that stuff and... It's just uh, something that's exciting to you, right? And then it gets played in a specific context like Darmstadt and you realise that this can, you know, I'm not naive. Of course, I know context absolutely matters and this is interpreted in a very Mm. specific way, provocatively, and some people uh, can say, you know, as I heard, you know, music like this shouldn't be played at a festival like this. And on an intellectual level, you can sort of dismiss those things or you can engage with them, but on a human level, it's just kind of hard to deal with. So I get worried about this tension between a naive engagement, just as a composer, with what you want to do and what you're excited about, and how that might be read in different contexts. Which is something as I say it's a pretty useless thing to be worried about because context will change and you can't control them.
1: Is that? I think that's a good thing to worry about. Because you you could, because you could event like that's a useful thing to think about because you could come to the conclusion that you know what? I'm not going to Darmstadt this year because that's not the right context for me. Nobody's going to be open to it. It's going to shut people down. It's not going to serve the social purpose that I want it to be served. And then you can be like, but. I can go here or I can start my own group and create this environment for people to go to that'll make it work well. I mean, that's a solvable problem that yeah, you have in it's a way.
0: My, my relationship is more complex and I loved going to Darmstadt in in most ways. And there was lots of people who were sympathetic to what I was doing, I think, and because they were doing something...
1: And they were all thinking the same thing, which is I don't belong in Darmstadt, probably. Which is, I think which, a lot of people actually which I hated. end it 's going boring. there.
0: That's boring. I think, to be fair to Thomas Schaefer, he's changed Darmstadt enormously and it's broadened out enormously and... Uh, what's important to me is just not to be factionalized about it. I'm still a new music lover. I still listen to Donatoni and all those records and, that I grew up with and I'm still really curious to hear even younger composers who are still working through that stuff. I'm not ideological about any of this. I'm just, engage- I'm just looking for people who have got something to say. Um, it sounds super naive, but it's the best way I could put it. So I don't feel about it. That's, that's somehow, it's not a two way street. If people are feeling like that about my work, which I can understand, but nonetheless, it wasn't how, why I was doing it. It's not reciprocated. I don't have, I'm not antagonistic towards people who are doing, working through older languages and stuff. Plus minus plays lots of that stuff. It's funny that we you consider that it.
1: I, it's funny that you consider that like you're saying older language.
0: Well, I mean, I guess my work doesn't really engage with classical music languages, including The post-war languages that were developed, right? I I think I absolutely—I gave a talk at Darmstadt about how, you know, I didn't abandon any of my compositional training from uh, or thinking or uh, the way that I might think about musical materials and organize them and how I might comment on them or think critically about them. But I did change some at some point in wanting to work with music that I that I loved, which is often popular music and wanted or familiar, but somehow to, to take these ideas and concepts but to and apply them to different stuff, stuff that was...
1: Can you give that to me in an example? I read that thing that was on your website, mm. that talk on your right. uh, website, like that little kind of like two-page paragraph thing.
0: Yeah. You mean the talk I gave at Darmstadt?
1: I think so. Yeah, that's up there on the website, Yeah, it's right? more than
0: two pages. That's what I'm just checking. But yeah. Uh, so yeah, what I tried to um, say in that talk was that, first of all, just to talk about use the, the term critical thinking which i think in new music is normally associated with frankfurt school always connected to marxism and 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 uh, that sort of way of culturally theorizing and, and about stuff um that I, I should try to show that like in, in education and geography people um for example uh, people use the term in a far in a different way in a far more neutral way um, just to refer to a kind of process with which we think through things and we don't just simply accept the receive wisdom on things and um, we try to investigate them and show that, for instance, that one thing can be interpreted different ways in different contexts and all that sort of stuff. So it's a very simple, in a way, simple definition of a term, but it's a def- definition that I find much more in- engaging to, to work with or to think through. In example, maybe I just would, again, think of Schlossky and this idea that I'm excited to take things which I like. It's somehow not ironic but things that I genuinely like and but nonetheless want to investigate them and to think about them in in the piece and to, I can't even say enhance perception, but actually to suge- suggest that one should engage with them through the so things that we might ignore on normally but by presenting them in this situation that we have to deal with them. We're talking about neuroses all the time. So my neuroses is always about this is like, the um, thing I try to talk about in the talk is if you just present the thing, let's say, like in the piece I think we're going to talk about, I was really into uh, the Penguin Cafe Orchestra. I don't know if you know those guys. This is from the 80s. No, I have no idea. So that was sort of the sonic image that I had at the start of the piece. It was this, um, this band I was really into when I was in my mid to late teens. And they kind of combined English folk music with minimalist minimalism ideas and a very polite middle class kind of way and it's music that's easy to sneer at Uh, but I also I love that music in a way I loved it you know when I was a kid and I started listening to it again and I was it's funny because it's music that you really could it's so easy to dismiss it but you know also it's fantastic I really like it so I was writing this piece um, which had somehow a similar instrumentation and I wanted to engage with that stuff but I didn't want to just do it I didn't want to be the Penguin Cafe Orchestra and make it relive now in my concert hall situation so the tension – I'm not being really articulate, sorry – but the tension I'm, that I'm always worrying about when I'm composing is that if I just simply present that thing, it's um, not interesting because it's just what I called in the, in the essay the first degree. That's just the thing itself. Yeah. But if I comment on it too much, if I critique it too much, if I use compositional techniques to fragment it and make it weird too much, it kind of kills the first degree. It becomes only the second degree. Yeah. And uh, It becomes
1: about your ability to abstract that thing to the nth degree. Absolutely. To the point where people might not even recognize what the original and And that's what I said in the article, then it's not critique
0: anymore. If you can't recognize the thing, it's not critique. You have to have, for me, that relationship. And the thing I really find, uh, so I'm always worrying about this balance, to have the first and second degree somehow judged so they're both clear and present. And the risk is always for me not to be, is to go as close as you can to the first degree while not being it. And there's a quote from Liechtenstein that I used in the essay talking about the closer you get to that thing, the more dangerous it is which I found really exciting. I have a sense of what he means by that. highlight for me it was a great save from uh, from Gordon oh, it was just point blank wasn't it just mm-hmm. as, as close as you're ever going to make it save mm. yeah. he, he said actually recently he said that, I said recently very recently it was only on Saturday that oh, I don't think it was even in the top three saves I've ever made 99% sure. <laughs> 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 yeah. like, you know, of the time that's either going in after like, your hand sort of just goes ow
1: yeah, yeah. or it just goes back into the pellet here and somebody knocks it in but how did he get it up and over
2: I can not figure it out it, it should have been buried though in fairness well, it's like the old David Seymour one it's very reminiscent of the Seaman one against Sheffield United, United. Yeah, yeah. poor Precious Lino uh, it? it was yeah. it was Marcus himself but the thing is is that and they were both great saves but you've got to concede take nothing away from the goalkeepers but they both should have been absolutely buried from <laughs> a yard out now, you don't give a keeper a chance to get it you know.
0: putting his foot through at that stage is your head in a football like, when it's bouncing around all over the place like that it's just an instinctive thing of it? Of the state, uh, as a stage stage? as the savings <laughs> <laughs> um, it happens to the best of us hey, it was funny because well, Sunderland Lovely sunshine while we were getting snowed on mm. in the tropical south east. But I mean, it, it was
1: weird that uh, there was a lot of talk that that
0: Chelsea, uh, Chelsea bottled it a little. Oh Manchester United, Chelsea. Yeah, because yeah, the roads, roads were fairly clear on that day. safety it's uh, not yeah it, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's yeah.
2: conversation culture James. <laughs> Area. it was very very treacherous but everywhere else
0: east london where we had the drinks and stuff all the roads on the saturday were, 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 were absolutely fine mm. Mm. it's just when you got that many people around in but such icy not... conditions but... it's, it could cause problems but I, i'm in agreement with you this is this as far as i remember this is quite a new thing isn't it mm. if you wouldn't catch the the closer
1: you get the more dangerous it is yeah how close do you actually get to like the exact replica of this reference of this band?
0: I mean, there's no quotation in it. It's much more. That, I guess you just call it pastiche, right? When you some, compose something, how that was somehow similar, right? Or in yeah. the style. I think in this piece, because it's so, it's it's a piece for ten instruments and sampler keyboard. And from the start, there's there's a double topic going on. There's one is this music, but the other thing is it's all about football. So the, from the start, you hear the piece inside a football crowd. So it's already pretty clearly transplanted right yeah so i think that in this particular example i think that double decision made me able to write that music in a pretty pure way because from the start it was never going to just be that thing because penguin cafe orchestra never made a piece inside a football crowd
1: in in a certain way i think what you do is it's very scrutable do you know what i mean by that yeah i think so how many people are actually getting it
0: Getting...
1: For example, if I write an abstract piece, if I write a string quartet based on some weird tone mm. combinatory technique, the, the requirement for people to actually understand what's going on is so like abstract that in a certain way it, they can't be like, I didn't get it. Yeah. But your cultural references that you make are so specific and like narrowed down that it's almost like people could completely miss it.
0: Miss what? The critique? Miss the, the critique the is they don't from-
1: understand the reference that you're making. They don't know about the band that you're quoting.
0: I don't think that's right. Um, uh, I think that it doesn't matter if you're a know, Penguin Cafe Orchestra. I think it's not, it's not really the important point. The point is it's somehow the music has more broadly has certain ev- evocations which are pretty clear, I think. And it's kind of easy listening, soft, polite music, right? I think, I think that's super clear. Yes. So whether you get a Penguin is. Cafe Orchestra, that's not really that's not relevant. It's not, I don't think anyone ever got that. I don't think that that's really, that's not important. That was just for me a, a departure point. But I think the music is scrutable. I think that's what I meant by the first decision making. I think yeah. people can, not really about the sound so much, but what, what I do with them and the way I make forms and the decisions I make. I think that you can really assess them. You can say, that was a good decision. So I think maybe related, I think is, uh, I had this experience where. So it's not, i don't know how interesting a story it is but uh, let's say like six years ago and mike was becoming friends with a lot of other people not musicians because i moved to london and my kids were i was making friends with their the kids parents as you do and uh lots of really bright culturally informed people and i was playing them they would ask to hear my music and i i just felt ashamed of my music to play it to them um, because they were smart and culturally engaged who see lots of galleries and lots of shows and I just, I just felt like a, a dickhead playing them my music. Why? Because they could get nothing from it. It was just embarrassing for all of us, you know. And uh, I just didn't feel comfortable writing music that in no way reached out to these very intelligent, culturally informed people. And I, so it was just, it made me really stop. And I wanted, to, just didn't want to do that anymore. I wanted to make music that I would not feel like a dickhead about when I played it to them. And do you feel better about yeah? That I now? feel really. Was that the
1: the shift for you? Like, what was your music like before you showed it to the parents?
0: I mean, I was a Fernio student. I don't, it's a stupid story, but when I was 20, it's stupid because it's embarrassing. But when, you know, when I was 23, I applied to study with lots of people. You know, I wasn't a Fernio head. I mean, I loved his music, but I loved lots of people's music. I could have easily gone and studied with Wolfgang Riem or Andreessen. You know, I was an Australian kid who was just kind of open, I think. But I got into this program in America with the money and I, I was super excited. I'd had a lesson with Brian in Darmstadt in 96 and he was great and that was super exciting. But somehow, and Brian never stylistically imposed himself, but I imposed it because I was so proud to be his student and thought this was identity and I thought it was to be my life identity and I was wrong. And I everybody,
1: everybody falls for that, right? Everyone, I know I'm yeah, not unique, yeah, every, but it's, it's yeah. still
0: embarrassing to have to say it out loud, you know? Like it's not a good story, but it's just true. And so I had to work through that stuff when I left and went to London and... As I said, going to see lots of shows, not music shows, other kinds of shows was liberating for that. And so that's there's not just one defining parent moment where I was like, fuck, this is embarrassing. That was somehow part of it.
1: But the moment you left the bubble...
0: The bubble yeah.
1: then it's Then you were like, wait a minute, this is actually, I am not okay with the social context that this music is. I want to write music that people can grab onto. What was the first introduction to that? When did you start taking actual references that people can understand or musical cues that people can understand and start manipulating them because of that uh,
0: yeah i think it's this probably this piece i wrote in 2005 called uh, what is it called shit um it's called free square jazz thank fucking christ i found the title yeah and that piece was all really it was really bernard lang influenced i don't think it sounds like bernard lang but maybe i'm wrong but that was more just this super exciting thought i mean one of the things in brian's music that's kind of banned not like banned for ideologically but for for anyone else but for himself he seems to ban it is repetition and then i listened to Bernard Lang's music and this idea of repeating not like repeating arpeggios or drum beats which are kind of stuff you were used to hearing repeated almost expect to be repeated to be looped hearing him take super hot spontaneous things the least thing you would ever expect to repeat and to repeat that and the kind of semantic shift that occurs when you repeat it over and over again as it you- does an
1: amazing thing and it's incredible that that's such an obvious thing to almost like the most basic technique. Yeah. But for some reason, like when we hear it in, in that certain context of like a classical music concert, when things start to get looped, you're like, that was incredible. Yeah. Like it's so striking at first. It's It works so well, mm. like as a tool, like as a tool to shift your thinking and you shift your perception. Yeah. 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 So anyway, this piece... So yeah, that piece yeah, yeah, was yeah. all
0: about that. It was, t- it was all about free jazz, which I'm really a tourist with. You know, it's like not a music I'm really invested in or knowledgeable about, but taking super like taking a drum part making a 13 beat drum part that was uh let's say really from this world and then just to loop it mechanistically and that piece was all about overlapping repetitions actually which is why it's very different to lang i think so each of the four parts had their own material which were all different lengths it's kind of polyrhythmic or something um and they were all just looping over the top of each other that was the basic sort of starting point but the thing is, you really hear the same things coming back over and over again.
1: Were you more satisfied than the previous pieces than you had been? Did I feel like writing?
0: I, did I feel like eureka? That's what we say in Australia when you yeah say yeah God. yeah uh, yeah
1: exactly. Exa- you're like oh before I mean, you were like oh I'm doing this I don't know like complexity. I don't like the fact that I can't take people who I think are well cultured people and give them anything with it. That's a big problem. I have to fix it. I'm going to do I'm gonna do this thing. And at that moment when you did that piece, the, the piece you just described, where you're like, this is it. I found it. No.
0: Yeah. No, it's just, this is a historical understanding of what happened. I, okay. I, don't, I don't remember any eureka moments, really. I mean, maybe I had them, but I just don't remember them. I don't think eureka moments really exist. No. I, they, they, I, I think
1: they exist in the way that I think the biggest eureka moment you had was when you showed it to the parents. That's possible and you and you were and like you walking away feeling shitty, like yeah. not because people who you respected didn't understand at all why yeah. or how you were doing what you were doing. I think that so feeling like, was like that was the eureka moment, and then like the like recovery, like the adjustment you make to feel happier is just kind of work you have to do after that moment. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. So, are you there yet?
0: My way? with the parents playing them? You mean is that what you mean? Yeah,
1: are you happy in that sense? I am.
0: I'm happy, and I guess that I, yeah, two things. I'm, I'm happy to invite them to concerts now, so I'm not ashamed. So I really, and they come and they seem to enjoy it, and that's nice. So, yes, yeah, that's and to answer the very specific question. And I also, I really noticed something the last couple of years, which is that I don't care as much. I In the opposite sense, that I'm really, like, I hope people like my piece tonight, but I heard it yesterday, and I really was pleased with it, and that's somehow. That's one of the things that's nice about getting older. There's lots of other things which are not nice about getting older, like when you think you've finished the toilet and you haven't. That's really not good things about getting older. <laughs> but one of the things is that you get more comfortable with yourself. And I'm not saying that I don't care what people think I really do, and I'm always interested in what people think, critiques and stuff, but I'm also don't give a shit in a way, in a way that I used to. So I can't imagine having those eureka moments now. I'm just enjoying what I'm doing. It's not in a lobotomized way, I hope, but I'm enjoying it.
1: Are those people who you invite to the concerts now, are you actually able to have a really in-depth discussion about what they think worked, what they think didn't work? I'm wondering if lay people now, since you're using these references that are so grabbable, Mm. you know, not only are they more comfortable talking about it, Mm. but they actually can talk about it in a way where they can have a fair critique. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, didn't get that in reference. It's getting, the concert no, hall is always know. alienating
0: mm-hmm. for them. You know, that's one thing. So it's funny. Like, there's a venue near where I live called Cafe Otto, and, uh, which is mainly an improv venue, but it's super informal. And if I come to that, they're really with a beer in their hand and relaxed. And that's, so that, I think that's hugely significant. If I invite them to a concert hall, concert hall, then it's, then it's always a bit alienating for them already from the start. People just don't feel relaxed, and I, I try and explain to them that I think it's their right, but it's also why it makes it beautiful, the concert hall, because if the music's not great, you really have a shit night. I mean it has to do everything. It's also great somehow. And so they can accept that a bit. But yeah, I mean, one, one mum, who I know very well, nice lady um, she came to a concert and she said, um, like the very first popular context, so the first three pieces, she had no idea how to take it, how to listen to it, how to think about it. And then there were was, was six movements. So she said somehow towards the end, she really started to understand it. She started to understand how to listen, how to think, what it was doing. And that it was just foreign to her to think about these materials in, in this way. So she took a while to somehow feel like she could engage with it. And now she wanted to go back and she wanted a CD so she could go back to the start because she felt like she wouldn't know how to listen to it now. And I that, that was that was lovely to hear that.
1: For me, like, you, she won me over with the fact that she was like, I understand this, you need to try at this. And I tried and I think I got something and give it to me again. If there's actually something that you can get on the onset that makes her say, give it to me again, then you did a good job. Then you don't have that, then your second listening worry. That you have well, there we are, yeah. should be you know should go away right i can sleep yeah. tonight thanks yeah it's, it's be- good. because there's more to uh there's more for that person to grab onto.
0: i mean the, the problem for me is like yeah, uh, there's a piece tonight um the last movement maybe i can just quickly just tell the story describe it yeah because it's very maybe because a good example it's called chromatic crowds and it's just one bar of music for the vibraphone and the drum kit and um they they play it it's like a quite a complex bar and uh, with and then the, the vibraphone pedals on and then there's a resonance and inside the resonance comes a crowd recording, from first like from a shopping center. And then they play it, um, actually they do a cycle of fifths with this chord. It doesn't really sound like it because the chord's quite chromatic, but it's, it is just a cycle of fifths. So they transpose it up a fifth and they play it and you hear a different crowd in the resonance. And it goes like this. And the first half of the piece is, there's a bit more composition than the way I describe it. But the basic idea is that there's 12 crowds, one each for each chord, um, each note. Then in the second half of the piece, it goes very high, this chord, and then it does a chromatic descent. And each time you hear now a much more specific topic, the applause, different applauses. So you hear like five applauses in a row, all from concerts, from different kinds of concerts. You can tell from the sound and the recording and the different applauses. It's, maybe one is from a classical symphony concert, one's from a, a jazz gig. You don't hear the music, so you don't know. But they just sound different. So they are different variations on this clapping thing. And then the sixth one, you do for the first time hear the end of a folk song and then you hear like for three seconds and then you hear the applause and the seventh one you hear like the end of an orchestral concert the eighth is from a blues band and so on right you're just you're just hearing three or four seconds of music to give the identification before the applause and then that goes on until the 11th one and this time you hear a brass band from america like playing a and it sounds like they're about to end but it actually takes a minute and 40 seconds for it to end it's one of these endings which never ends and uh, so I just have to wait. Everyone has to wait for a minute and 40, including the three performers on stage.
1: If you take a piece of pop music and you put it in a different context, is there a specific type of kind of political agenda you have as a commentary on that material?
0: I mean, first of all, there's a drum kit and a group, right? And this so somehow it's it's fitting anyway, like on, from the live music. but. I just think... No, I don't think about that. It's, it's, to me, it's all topically related, right? I'm looking at different kinds of applauses and I'm matching that to the idea of each applause being chromatic. That you could imagine a chromatic scale made of different applauses. That but it's, was... it's
1: not that, uh, you know, one applause is more respectful than the other.
0: No. you know. No, I, lo- I love these applauses because you can listen to them purely sonically. Of course, we all had that experience as composers, which so is just fun to listen to applause, right? Yeah. That's beautiful. But also that we it's also culturally interesting to listen to the different ways people do applaud. So it's just nice to bring attention to that, right? It's not a big point, but it's just nice to bring attention as so let's say a bit Buddhist, right? Let's 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 take some notice in the world of these things. That's just so nice to listen not only to the sonic sounding shape of applause, but also the way that in different cultural practices we applaud in different ways. It's not a profound point, but it's to me just gently interesting. And the whole point of this story was that so I had to make the decision do I feel comfortable about an hour and a minute and forty, if I can imagine an hour, a minute and forty of this brass band playing before they finally end, and then we hear that applause. I guess what, what I was thinking at the time is, yeah, I thought this moment's justified. It's consequential, right, from everything that the piece had done up until that point. First to introduce applause, then to introduce the end of music. Do people get that right? I was listening to it yesterday, and I was loving it. But I was thinking, I wonder if people get it. You know, like it's perhaps the, the people do they would even imagine to think about to understand what I was thinking. Uh, to me, it's super obvious and transparent. But I, I'm curious if to if I would talk to people tonight whether they got it right. Whether they thought they could see the decision making that I was going through, they, but you
1: never talked to any. What, what about I always the, do focus What about groups. the woman that listened to the wanted to listen to it twice? Was she reading into it correctly? I haven't what talked to talked her the same times.
0: Lots of forthcoming with her concrete spe- things of how she thinks. As I said, I you know I'm, I'm always curious in that focus group kind of way to find out how people did experience it.
1: Do you refine your stuff based on feedback from the woman who wanted to listen to the CD again?
0: No, I have actually or is it colleagues or colleagues? Like, how do you get feedback? I'm a I have lots of very nice f- friends and I think we give and I'm a, we give feedback to each other.
1: Why don't you open that feedback to if you were so uh, yeah, it's very, upset yeah. about them not fitting into like a good social context? Why don't you why don't you try and get
0: I do do that feedback yeah. I do do that but not as much as I, maybe I should. But yeah, and I definitely when people come around, I work on the computer, I make garage band files of my pieces like mockups and I play them to people and, and and I'll ask them questions. So I do do that.
1: Also talking about like after a concert or something. Well, for me, yeah. the
0: feedback's much more in the process. That's why I like making things on GarageBand so that I can send it to people and get comments and and ask specific questions.
1: You do on some level send that to people who are, are outside the field.
0: I don't, And yeah, more typically if I just come around for dinner, I'll, they'll say, what are you working on? I'll say, come upstairs and we play it to you. Really? And
1: do you, do you take their feedback seriously? Yeah. What have you changed? In a piece because some, old, you know, old lady who just ate a pot roast said, I don't uh, like it.
0: I mean, yeah, my friends are a bit more cool than that, but no, I'm just joking. But uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's hard to think of an immediate example. I'm sure there's some dumb shit like, you know, that bit's a bit boring. It goes on too long and stuff like that.
1: No, I'm just fascinated with this moment that you were like, okay, I was studying with Brian Ferniehow and I think I was so proud to be a student of his that I started emulating what he was doing. As soon as I left school, I realized that I was put in a social bubble Mm. that the music could not really survive outside of. Mm. And I wanted my music to be more versatile than that. I wanted to be able to speak to more types of people. So, what's your relationship to them now in the music that you
0: write? I think, you know, just by engaging with music that they they already are invested in and have feelings about is already the big decision, right? I mean... I think, like, the piece you're going to play and the piece that's on tonight, you know, it's it's music that they, it's familiar to them and music that they can, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? And, you know, they're invested in it somehow, right? And it's culturally familiar. So, that's somehow the big decision, right? When, you know, if you would take this super abstract thing from Fernie Ho, it's, that's already just within one second of no interest to them, right? It's it's, it's it's that base.
1: And, you know, the weird thing is, is that they probably already have a, they're like, it's supposed to be without any type of cultural reference, but it, the truth is, it is in itself a cultural reference. Everybody, or most people at least, n- have the idea of what really unaccessible, gnarly new music is, yeah. and that's what they're doing. It's not what is this thing I've never heard before. It's oh that I can't handle that.
0: But I've you got, know? yeah, and just to, yeah. I really love you know I still listen to Barrett and Raphael Sendo and I you know there's lots of music I love and we program it in plus minus so it's not it's just um. So it's not an ideological thing. It's not like I killed my father or made some big rupture, but um, in my broader activities, let's say, as a person, not just as a composer, I I remain completely invested in it and and, and a a lover of that stuff. But it's just we're only talking now about what I do, right? Yeah, exactly. Comfortable about what you do as a
1: yeah. So you're in a much better
0: place now. I feel more, yeah, more more comfortable. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: You said you run an ensemble in London.
0: Yeah. Was sort of London and Brussels. Some of the people come from Brussels.
1: The What's the scene like in the UK?
0: That's, yeah, uh, funny because I knew, kind of knew that would come because there's sort of a trope in lots of your talks. I learned because it. I d- I'm just, it's just curiosity yeah, yeah, no, it's, on my part. Yeah. It is interesting and it's uh, kind of like amazing that with the internet and all that stuff that aesthetics do remain fairly um, regional. Yeah, local. Yeah, which, which is amazing. I think London is, um, you know, the, there's still an institutional mainstream dominated by post-Britain... Would you believe post Benjamin Britten, post Stravinsky, and aesthetics, and they've kind of got that sewn up. And this is there's a hell of a lot of British composers who are very famous in Britain who have never been heard of outside of Britain. So, it's, which is not unlike America, I suppose. And so, outside that, you have um, a whole it's not an underground is the wrong word because there is still some institutional support for it, but it's a different kind of, much lower level institutional support for it. And I guess historically, the, the two in that non-mainstream scene, the two defining aesthetic positions was new complexity. And experimentalism—they were the, experimentalism in the narrow sense of the Cage, Cardew tradition. Okay, and so I think in the '90s they were the two options, and I think that's totally changed. Like it's changed everywhere in the last ten years. It's broadened out massively. You know, I saw a show a week ago for a group from Birmingham playing called Decibel, and they did a show amplified, bang on the can, kind of devolved Harding aesthetics, which I hadn't heard anything want to do with that like that in Britain for ages. You know, so that's not like a big thing. It was kind of fresh for me in a way, fresh in the sense that it was, I hadn't heard. British people doing that for ages. Yeah, exactly.
1: Not, not that you hadn't heard it before, but that you're. Fresh like, in Britain. What yeah. is this happening here in yeah. the UK? Yeah.
0: And somehow reflected to me what I think is going on that it's just a big. There is a pluralism and it's not this binary thing that was going on before. For me, I guess I'll just say to name drop, the, the, there's a group called Exaudi, a vocal group. Who I think absolutely. I know them. I know them. Sensational group. Or I know of them. Yes. Yeah. yeah. They did a show in Darmstadt and yeah, they're incredible. And so for me, if anyone wants to know who i think's the best group in britain that's it's them they're just fantastic uh, it's also because they're singers and that's just amazing to watch singers do that shit it's just so impressive but there's a group called apartment house which is great too and they do this they definitely do this experimental thing there's the group that used to do the complexity thing was called expose which i think is a little less active these days and then there's our group who are and we're yeah we're doing uh, open work as i said before but also doing lots of so let's say 30-something composers, I suppose, as it turns out, like um, Simonston and Anderson and, uh, or even Torvind and composers like this. We also did lots, as I told you before, we also did lots of work with Ablinger, which is a super experience. Uh, and Trondrein-Holstein is another name.
1: Are you going with the flow or are you going against the flow?
0: Yeah, we're with the flow. I mean, we just have a plus minus, you mean? We just but like-
1: I'm, I'm talking about like in general, like the way the culture is going... Do you think you easily fit in with Little Struggle? Or I don't do you, think anyone...
0: Or... I don't think it's really at stake anymore. As I said, that's probably the pluralism. Right? When, I said, when I agreed with going with the flow, I, I meant that we're very comfortable. We just want to... With the idea that we simply want to just bring to London stuff that's not being done in London that we think's good. That's going with, your, let's say, maybe the continental flow. Yeah. So, like, Stan Anderson's a pretty successful big name in lots of European contexts, but actually almost never played in Britain. So, we're we're pleased to bring it to Britain, let's say. How was he received there? Yeah, but that's was pretty good. We've done two pieces. Yeah, good.
1: Not. Um... It's amazing that you're also kind of picking really clear composers to present too, right?
0: What do you mean? Like, like
1: compositionally, I... Simon steen Anderson is a very clear composer. You see what his intentions are. You see the compositional idea and the simplicity of it in the piece, which means he's an effective composer because that's its go- that's his goal. It goes for the same with Oblinger, you know. i like you can. There's really a one to one match, yeah, and you absolutely. kind of understand what he's trying to do. It's weird. You're picking those European composers, like the the ones that are really kind of focused on clarity and simplicity of idea.
0: I hadn't thought of it, but it's probably true. You seem to be value. Attracted well, to attracted, and to so the yeah. other program is Joanna Bailey, whose work is very different to mine, but probably has that quality too.
1: What is a how do or how do you think about growing? Like a group, you said you only have a couple gigs we don't. a year.
0: It's an anti-capitalist model. Not. I'm sore then, about that because I had the, a group, then, a different organization in London, and, and we got money from the Arts Council. Yeah, like five grand, and we could just do this beautiful homemade thing. It was, but with some money, we could pay people. Not great, but a bit. And so it was good. And the next year, we had to apply for twice as much because we had to be seen to be growing. And it was just so depressing because we just wanted five grand again. You know, we didn't want to grow, but you had to each year apply for twice as much, which was just so yeah, which meant way more paperwork too in the application. So plus minus is resolutely not like this. As I say, not really for any other reason except for the fact that everyone's busy and it's hard to raise money for stuff in Britain so it takes us a while to do it but we just try and raise like 400 quid per player so that no one loses out from doing it. And so I would never ask people to do that more than a few times a year. But everyone really loves it. That's also, I think we'll keep on, we've been doing it for 10 years and we'll keep on doing it if it's a slow burn you know,
1: I think a lot of, like, if you want longevity, I think this, like, the simmer model yeah. works very well. But I, if you want to get big fast, then you'll probably die just as quickly. Well, I'd, lo- yeah.
0: I'd love it to be big if, if I had a different life and didn't have a job and family and composing to also prioritize. You know, the problem is Joanna also has her, her life and we, no one really has the time to, even if we wanted to grow it, it would be such a big commitment to go to all the festivals and hang out with people and meet people and try and do that thing, you know. That's a huge investment to make. And we just, none of us are really up for it.
1: So do you have like ambitions in your own career? You you, you said you're so busy with like family and like teaching and everything like that. Are you at the point where like, this is where I'm at. I have enough steady stuff coming in where I can continually be creative. But as far as like you becoming like a bigger more international mm. focused guy sounds are you good. just like that's not for me or i have to figure out a way to do that or no it sounds good like, i'm, I'm not my life and I'm, I'm not fine. shy that
0: sounds good but i i wouldn't i'm not looking for it either let's say i i'm not um unambitious i really would like to be asked to write a piece or two a year by people i really, really want to make a piece for that's the number one ambition that i'm Taken care of. I would find it very inspiring and motivating if I've got a gig that I'm excited about to do it for, like tonight. So it's not.
1: This is a great opportunity for you. There's yeah, a, all... a big, there's a big German European. Yeah, festival. but I'm also,
0: I'm also old enough, you know. To, that's really. I hope that doesn't sound like silly, but I'm, I've had this experience a few times now to know it's not going to change my life. You know, it's gonna be. I'm really looking forward <laughs> to tonight, but it's not going to change my life. Yeah. You know, I think I thought that might a few times before, and it didn't. And I see why it doesn't. It doesn't it doesn't work like that, and. uh I feel more relaxed about that stuff now. The,
1: the truth is that those things are impossible to predict.
0: And it almost never happens and yeah.
1: Maybe it does never happen. Okay, it doesn't happen to me yeah. anyway. Yeah, it's but never I'm, happened to me either. But I'm not complaining.
0: I mean I have a really nice thing to look forward to tonight and that's 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 enough.
1: Yeah, but the idea of this is gonna take me to the next level yeah. is like you can't you can't believe that anymore. You've been disappointed too many times. Yeah. Give me an example of, and then we we can end it. But maybe I want to end it on this. Give me an example of something that you thought was going to make you a rock star. Well, and then uh,
0: it's uh, more. It's you know. It's also the older, getting older thing is that you get things that you'd always hoped you'd get, and then you get them, and you don't. Doesn't make you as happy as you thought they would. Yeah, because it's too late. Like it's not too late. It's just that you were wrong. You were wrong with how you thought it would make you feel. So it's something I've talked about with lots of people and they've all, a lot of people have, I've, I've discovered have had that experience. You know, yeah. it's a normal thing of, I'm a 38 years old, I'm, you know, towards 40, it's what happens. You, you just get a little more realistic about all that stuff.
1: So give me an example of, that's no. what I mean. Give me an example of the former self of, uh, of something that you were like, this is going to be it. This is the, you know, I'm going to be the next piece of sliced bread.
0: Well, no, I, I don't think I ever thought that, but, uh, you know, only two years ago, maybe it was the last time it happened. Uh, and that's why I knew it was the end oh really worrying like thinking about that stuff and worrying about it was um you know I wrote a 40 minute piece for the new ensemble that was played in Huddersfield and Amsterdam it's it's the piece you're playing a movement from right it's a funny piece because and one it's that's another there's another topic and we haven't got time um but it's a really that piece is so funny to me because on one level I'm just super proud of myself because I like had an aesthetic vision for it I just followed it through without doubting it and I feel really kind of uncomfortable about that piece in lots of ways because I didn't like all my, all the other urges I have with music are like suppressed, so it's somehow pure if it makes sense.
1: In in, in your head, yes, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah well, yeah. it's
0: pure in the sense that it's uh, I had a, a thing and I went for it completely and didn't doubt it. Uh, anyway, okay, that's not the the story, but the story is just yeah, it happened and it, you know didn't get reviewed in a paper, let alone changed my life. I mean, I think it went really well and I got nice applause and nice comments and stuff like that. I'm not, it wasn't an unpleasant experience. It was a very nice experience and hopefully tonight will be a similar experience. Yeah, but experience. it was,
1: you know, it was, you thought it was supposed to be the beginning of something, but it was just a thing.
0: It was just a thing.
2: Got a free yogurt. Closed Open, closed Open, closed Open, closed Open, closed Eight armed goddess, eight ball, eight letter words, eight fifteen, eight Buddhist precepts, eight mile, eight to the bar, eight rules of fight club, eight times seventeen, eight times a day, eight songs for a mad king, eight items of furor, eight states border Missouri, eight bits in a bite, eight maids of milking, eight pinches to a teaspoon, eight spaces between fingers, eight or nine planets. 8 islands of Hawaii, 8 pieces for full timpani, 8 cylinders, 8 of heart, 8 furlongs to a mile, 8 year anniversary gift, bronze or pottery?